0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us as we continue our series Being Like Jesus. We're grateful for the opportunity to continue to connect with you guys and for all of the hard work that goes into making this a reality. Today, we're focusing on discernment, which in a lot of ways is similar to wisdom. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this, "'Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right.'" And I like that because I think there's a whole bunch of things that we just kind of innately know are wrong. You don't need a lot of discernment to know that murder is wrong or that stealing someone's car is a bad idea. There's a whole lot of things that are just kind of obvious. And then there's some other stuff that's a little bit more complicated, some issues that are a little harder to navigate, and so we need discernment. And the word that Paul uses is anakrino, and it means to examine, distinguish, or separate out by diligent scrutinization. You see, we all discriminate. And I know that's a bit of a spicy thing to say, but it's true. You wouldn't let a stranger just walk off with your baby. That would be crazy. You wouldn't believe the earth is flat just because some guy on the street told you. You don't know anything about this guy or whether he knows anything about the subject. Now, we all discriminate in different ways every single day. And sometimes that's right and even wise, and sometimes it's wrong. Well, there's a lot of discrimination that comes from a place of prejudice or even hatred. And so the real question is, how do we know when to discriminate or filter something out and when not to? Well, that's discernment. And the Bible is pretty clear that it's something that you and I are going to need when it comes to our faith as well. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And he says the same thing in Romans chapter 12. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then over in Philippians, he says, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And that's not particularly complicated. Be discerning. Examine things carefully so that you can hold on to everything that is good and run from everything that isn't. It's for our good and his glory. We get that. And that kind of makes sense to us. But the complicated part is figuring out where to put everything. Now, what is actually good and what is evil and, and, and maybe what's not even good but what is even better than that? What is the God thing? for us. This is where it gets tricky. And Paul speaks into that in Colossians chapter 2. But it's not going to make sense for us if we don't understand the context of the, the situation that he's speaking into. And so I want to touch on the context of the church in Colossians really quickly. See, the church in Colossae was a fledgling community of new believers who didn't grow up in a Judeo-Christian world. Well, they grew up in a polytheistic, almost mystical world where every town or city had local gods and, and goddesses that watched over that city. And Anti Wright calls them the unseen inhabitants. And it was really important to keep these unseen ones happy because if you didn't, everyone knew that bad things would happen. It's a radically different way of seeing the world, but you got to understand This is what they believed. If there was an earthquake or a famine or some kind of disease, that meant that the gods were angry and we dishonored them in some way or maybe we haven't been fervent enough in our worship. Whatever it is, they're unhappy and we're suffering because of it. So when someone like Paul comes along, And then as a result, this little community of of Jesus followers pops up out of nowhere. It was a real problem. I mean, you stop going to all the festivals and the the rituals that are associated with the religion of that city, and people are going to notice. And then pretty quickly, they're going to start to ask some questions. So the pressure to conform was enormous you want to worship some guy named Jesus, go for it. But whatever you do, don't abandon our gods, because if you do that, it's not just you who will suffer. Actually, it's, it's all of us that's going to suffer. Tertullian, who's one of the early church fathers, he puts it like this. He says, every time something happens, you know, the shout goes up, the Christians to the lions, it must be their fault. That sounds weird to us. We don't even really begin to understand that, but that was real. Something that happened all the time. So, on the one hand, you've got syncretism and the pressure to blend or amalgamate their newfound faith in Jesus with the pagan religion they come out of. And then, on the other hand, right, if you read the chapter, Paul alludes to the pressure coming from a completely different angle, the pressure coming from the local synagogue. And that might sound strange to us, but just imagine for a second you're a brand new Christian. You come from a pagan background, so you don't really understand the Jewish heritage of our faith. And then you encounter a group of Jews from the local synagogue. They seem pretty devout, pretty, pretty committed to their faith, and, and it almost seems like they're related to us, which is even more confusing, that we believe in this guy named Jesus, the Jewish Messiah And then over here, we encounter these guys who are Jews. So are we supposed to join them? Are we supposed to be a part of that Jewish community? Should we be following the Old Testament law like they are? Because that's what they're telling us. And there was a whole lot of stuff that was just incredibly confusing to them. Things that they didn't understand and they didn't know what to deal, how to deal with them. And we kind of understand that. I mean, it's tough for us. With all the information and the teaching that we have at our our hands, it's tough for us to know sometimes what to do. So you can imagine how tough it would have been for them. They needed discernment. They really did because the stakes were incredibly high. And so here's what Paul says to them. And you can imagine he could have said anything, but this is what he says. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And this is what he writes in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, "I, I know you're being bombarded from every direction. And there's so many people telling you what you should and should not be doing and what you should and should not believe. So here's what I want you to do. In the midst of all the noise that's going on around you, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. You don't need to graduate from the gospel to chase after wisdom or understanding. That's found in Christ, that we grow and mature as we understand the depth of the gospel, as we drill down into it more and more. So really the call is to press into Jesus, to know him and his heart and to allow him to shape ours. That's where discernment begins. He goes on to say, See see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You know, so much of the wisdom of this world is hollow. It sounds good, but it doesn't have the power to lead people into a fullness of life. And I remember talking to Simon Forward just not that long ago about the brokenness of our world. And he said, our solutions for today create the problems of tomorrow. And I thought, how true is that? That the solutions that our world comes up with for today so often cause the problems of tomorrow. And a generation from now, we're going to be dealing with the brokenness and the turmoil, of the road that we're walking down right now when it comes to gender, sex, and sexuality. And the wisdom of this world is hollow. It was built on human tradition, on human understanding. And Paul says there's even a demonic element to that because ultimately it wants to take us away from Christ. And I think everyone would agree that instantly that should be a red flag for us. Well, how do I know this is good or, or not? How do I know what category to put it in? Or well, does it point you back to Christ does it lead you into greater intimacy with Jesus because if it doesn't it's probably not something that you should be holding on to I think that I could summarize all of this summarize all that Paul is talking about with a book by a guy whose name is incredibly difficult to understand and to say it's Tullian Chivijian I've said that as best as I possibly can you can google him And he wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Well, that's the heart of discernment. That's how you could summarize all that Paul is saying. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we see that in the following verses as Paul shows the Colossians how the sufficiency of Christ is what actually sets them free from the pressures that they were facing on either side of them whether that's the pagan religion they grew up in or the the local synagogue that frees them from both elements of that. And Paul says, Christ is the head over every power and authority. Now You don't have to live in fear or conform out of fear. Jesus is greater. He sits on the throne. No one can take away the promises that we've been given in Christ. He's greater than these unseen ones. He's greater than any power or authority. So live your life as an act of worship to him and him alone. Christ is the head over every power and authority. In him, he goes on to say, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Paul's saying you don't have to bow to the pressure coming from this Jewish synagogue either. Jesus is enough. And what he accomplished for you on the cross is enough. You don't have to supplement the sacrifice of Jesus with your own pitiful attempts to obey the law as if Jesus' obedience is somehow insufficient. He's saying you were saved by Christ, not by the law. So don't allow someone to take away your trust from Christ so they can place it in the very thing he freed you from. Don't bow to that pressure. And he finishes by saying that he forgave us all our sins, all. That is the sufficiency of Christ and the sacrifice that he made, that he forgave us from all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And Paul was saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Tim Keller says something really similar. He says, as many of us learned and later have taught, that you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And it's hard sometimes It's hard to know how to navigate the pressures of our world and and the significant issues that are all around us. But we need wisdom. We really do. We need discernment. So here's Paul's insight. As a shepherd and as a pastor, Paul says Jesus is enough because actually Jesus is everything. We run from anything that seeks to draw us away from Jesus that we refuse to put our trust in anything but Jesus, to build our life on anything but Jesus. And we reject anything that tries to add to the work of Jesus because he's enough. He's everything. And we're going to finish this morning by entering into a time of communion. If you haven't got the elements prepared, you might want to pause the video now so that you can go and do that. But, but I can't think of a better way for us to finish today. Well, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's stand in awe of the author and perfecter of our faith. Colossians chapter 1 says, The Son, this is Jesus. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent, that Jesus might be supreme over everything. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether that's things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you and this is talking to once you once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. But a fullness of God dwells in us. Eternal life is ours. The hope of glory is ours. All of the promises of Scripture are yes and amen in Jesus. And we celebrate all of that, and yet we recognize the price that was paid to make that a reality. And The preeminent one, he who is above all things, the supreme one humbled himself. He might take our place and set us free. Well, that is the love, and the glory, and the goodness of Jesus, and that's what we remember as we come before the table. And the bread represents His body that was broken; the juice, His blood that was poured out for our sin. Let's eat and drink in remembrance of him. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website, at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.